Hello and welcome to Canadarent Sound of Play 188. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the mini video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Ryan Heyman, in Sound of Play 188 is a composer, somebody who seems to have a lot going on. <laughs> you know, I uh, I like to occupy myself with all sorts of different projects, but uh, you know, when I uh, when I sent out the call, it's like, oh, you know, what do you do? You you sent back like a an essay about all the cool things that you're involved <laughs> with, and so I'm uh, eager to just dive right in and start exploring uh, some of this stuff. Uh, this is uh, Joshua Matthews, aka Josua. Is that the way that you uh, prefer that to be? Yeah, yeah, that's that's spot on, actually. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. <laughs> I mean, you're primarily coming on here as a composer or as a uh, 
you know, you've done some remix work, you've done some original composition work. Uh, why don't you give us like a quick rundown, like who are you and, <laughs> and where do you come from? <laughs> I'm a composer. I, uh, I'm, I'm a mix of self-taught and uh, some schooling. I've had a romance with <laughs> video game music since I was a child. Um, as you know, I'm sure as uh, most of the people that you've had on the show, as probably well yourself. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, I uh, I am a member of uh, Materia Collective, and um, which uh, for you know uh, for the audience, um, Materia Collective, we are a collective of composers and musicians uh, that we've come together to essentially do arrangement albums and remix albums for various uh, soundtracks, you know, um, a lot of Final Fantasy. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a member of, of, of that community. Uh, we are like a bunch of nerds who <laughs> come together <laughs> to to do music that we love. So that that's uh, really Perfect. awesome. Um, I'm also like a full time uh, game composer. Uh, I work at a a slots game developer called Grover Gaming, uh, based in Greenville, North Carolina. And yeah, and, and in my spare time, I also uh, am a part of uh, the Video Game Music Academy, uh, which is headed up by Dan Holzman. I also dabble in, uh, it is his 21-day video game music challenge. Mm. Essentially, just to give a summary of that, for 21 days, uh, the task or I guess the challenge is to write piece of music uh, or simply four to eight bars or it could just be a, a melodic idea and uh, mm. to write a new idea every day for that 21 days. Let's uh, let's go back to that uh, Materia Collective. Um, if I understand correctly, uh, do you also publish like actual soundtracks like uh, apart from the remix work um but uh you know acting as kind of a, a distribution wing as well i seem to remember undertale going through the materia co collective yes um so i am not too familiar um with the publishing uh the details of the publishing um but our uh illustrious leader, Sebastian Wolf, uh, who is uh, the, uh, he's the founder and he's the head of Materia Collective. This is a great musician's name as well. Yeah, right? It's like, and if you see him, it's <laughs> just the whole, it's just the whole look. It's just, it's, it's really cool. <laughs> oh, but uh, he's, um, you know, honestly, I, I don't know him, you know, that well, because he's, he's very busy mm -hmm. and, and everything. But from what I've surmised, he's, um, He's very, very on top of things when it comes to uh, licensing, publishing, and, you know, he's doing a lot for the game composer and musician slash singer community. Like he's uh, extremely active um, and it's interesting because I'm constantly like getting posts about um, <laughs> like uh, different uh, updates, what's happening in the music mm. industry as it pertains to video game music and um yeah, it's just really, it's very humbling, um, I'd say, to be uh, a part of Materia Collective because there's, it's just dripping with talent. <laughs> it's just, you yeah. literally have musicians and singers from all over the world. And it's like this place for everybody to kind of pour into this, this pot. Yeah, when it comes to remixing, uh, it's a very different a very different skill set than uh, composing original works. As somebody who's worked in 
both. Like, where do you find, uh, what, what do you find to be the most difficult, original works or uh, remixing? I would say it's, re- for me, it's remixing. And mm-hmm. the reason for that is because I have such a respect <laughs> for uh, yeah. the composers. And like, this is, this is their brainchild. This is literally their, their baby, as it were. And to take something that, which for them, it may not be, uh, you know, uh, something so amazing but for me you know uh the fact that i'm even looking at something to remix it means that it's touched me in some form or fashion Mm, uh it's impacted me uh i've either learned from it or uh it's just it was just a banger (laughs) you know one of those things like it was just uh so for me remixing is 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 more challenging because you want to honor what the composer did prior, right? You want to mm-hmm. honor the original and the quality of the original while adding your fingerprint to it, mm-hmm. you know? And so for me, that that's the, that's the real challenge. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's that aspect that kind of gets me. Um, and sometimes it, it really does give me pause. You know, there's almost like two different types of video game music remixes or the one that, uh, the ones that kind of elevate the original piece, not necessarily always making it better, but trying to really kind of hone in on the feelings that the original uh, put across, whether it's just where you were in your life at the moment that you experienced it in the game, or whether it is the musical ideas that the piece was trying to communicate. And then there's those that try to uh, try to change it, to take, you know, the the core you know, what makes this song unique and trying to morph it into something else entirely. And so you'll get the uh, Smash Bros soundtracks are full of like songs from all sorts of different types of video games made into fighting game music. And so it's upbeat, it's, it's fast, it's punchy, it's heavy on the percussion. And, you know, it's, it's really kind of like changing the original vision. When I initially started looking into remixing when when talking amongst my friends you know sometimes i'll just you know like the we'll talk about how there's like a view of remixing that it's you know it's like oh you know you've already got the material to work with you know you're good to go (laughs) and Uh it's like no (laughs) that is a skill set to my remixers out there because i i dabble (laughs) i really that's how i see Mm -hmm. myself um but to those remixers out there, I, I salute you because to to be able to do that and to bounce from one piece of music to the next and to be able to transform it, to give it a new voice, a new color palette, so to speak, that's that is it, like I said, that is in its own category of skills. It's kind of analogous to like painters who are great painters and then they'll hire somebody else to turn their paintings into an exhibit, you know, and to, uh, to curate it and to choose where the paintings go for maximum effectiveness. Cause this is a different skill set entirely yeah. or like fashion designers who will, who will hire somebody else to actually dress the models and make the, uh, make the dresses, you know, mm-hmm. look uh, really pop, you know, accentuate the vision because, you know, that person has a very particular skill set and, uh, and even taking something that somebody else has, you know, done, quote unquote, uh, to present that in a different way and to kind of like communicate your own vision through that, um, that's, yeah, entirely different thing. And it's super cool. Talking about 
remixes, um, I kind of wanted to pivot back to that, uh, or that piece that we came in on, um, Endless Journey. This was an, uh, an original of yours. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this piece of music? Okay. Um, so I was a part of a, um, a previous game project called Chronicle Abyss. And I was working with uh, my friend Cameron Cooper on that. He was uh, heading up the art and and everything. And it's crazy how I met him. Um, so I, I have an artist sister. Her name is Janae. And she uh, was going to this school, Stevenson University at the time. Ironically, here's the funny part about this story. I actually was not working as a composer at the time. I was working in uh, account. I was uh, working as an accounts payable oh, representative, yeah. and so yeah, I was coming from a completely different like background. It was hilarious. <laughs> but you were doing. Uh, at least you had the um, musical skill set at that time, or did you learn after that? Even oh no no no. I, yeah, I had the musical skill set, but it was just it's just funny how all of this comes together. Um, oh, I guess yeah. to condense the story. <laughs> Janae knew that I was looking to, you know, write for, for video games. At the time, I was actually in school while I was doing that uh, for music production. The interesting thing was she, her, she went to like, I guess like it was like a meetup or something. And uh, their mutual friend, his name is Ben, was like, hey, we've got this like, uh, uh, like this, this, Janae's got this brother and he writes really good music and blah, blah, blah. And Cameron was like, dude, <laughs> like. We were, we were actually looking for a composer and blah, blah, blah. He's like, dude, you got to check this guy out. Like, you know, of course, this is what, <laughs> you know, this is what they said to me when I asked them how that went down. Hmm. And uh, so Cameron, he reaches out to me and he's like, hey, man, you know, so we're working on this project and so on and so forth. And um, to get to Endless Journey. So that whole thing, like uh, Chronicle Abyss was meant to be uh, a nod or an ode to the, the JRPG lineage right mm-hmm. um it's, it was an adventure game you know uh 3d kind of thing and he came to me and he said hey man so like i want like a dungeon theme but i don't want it to feel like a dungeon right like mm-hmm. i want you to like i want you to make the listener want to be there right and he's like i want something kind of like i don't know pretty but like upbeat and this and that and blah 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 I took my laptop one day and uh, at the time, uh, the place I was working is called uh, Bus Boys and Poets in D.C. Mm -hmm. I went into this like area where it's like a it's like a common area for all the employees. I'm sitting there with my computer and I just start like plugging away at like these cords on my little I have this like little 21 key keyboard. It looks like a toy and people were clowning me about it like (laughs) all day. Um, But I started plugging away on that. And I sent what I had come up with to Cameron. He was like, dude, dude, that's it. That's it. That, that, run with that. <laughs> run with that. And I was just like, okay. So my whole approach to it was really, I wanted freedom. Okay. Um, I wanted the freedom to operate as a composer in a professional sense. And so what Endless Journey is for me is actually, uh, it's, it's literally like... Um, an actualization of the journey of a composer. Like that's what it means for me. It's that's why I called it endless journey because it's in game. You are constantly exploring. You want to, I wanted to give the feeling of exploring, but the way that that connects to me personally is the study of music is endless. It's literally an all encompassing 
you're never going to like figure it all out in your lifetime kind of thing. Mm, yeah. And so um, that's essentially the, where I was at mentally when I began writing that. And uh, I have no idea how it turned into like, you know, what it became because for me, that was like, it was literally like a level up. Like <laughs> it's literally it because uh, the way that I measure my growth is in terms of level ups. Yes. Very nerdy. I know. Mm. But it's like when I reach a new level of expression where I am incorporating flourishes and, and, you know, and my performance of the different instruments that I'm using, uh, it's like, whoa, dude, like I didn't do that before. That's nuts. <laughs> I just did that. That's crazy. And I have those moments to myself when I'm writing. Uh, not that I think my music is like the bomb or something, but it's that moment. It's like a very special moment when you're you're writing and you stumble across another type of direction to take mm. the music. It could be a simple chord change. It could be a modulation. It could be just anything it could be an ar you know an arpeggiation anything and it's just like when it happens everything clicks all of a sudden it's like the rest of the piece writes itself that is endless journey that's cool yeah so you've uh you've mentioned that um well have brought up the jrpg in the description there and looking through the pieces that you chose not only of your own work but uh, of the work that has inspired you that seems to be a bit of a theme uh, including this next piece, which um, which comes from Nobuo Uematsu, a very uh, familiar name for <laughs> most of us who have at least a passing knowledge of video game music. Uh, so what is it about the JRPG? Is it just the, the music that really stands out to you, or is it the entire JRPG experience that appeals to you? I would say it's the experience. Um, the thing about JRPGs, uh, just since I, you know, I'm sure I can say for all of us, like since we were children, you know, it takes itself seriously. It takes mm. you, the audience, seriously. It's like, come sit down. Let me tell you a story about ages past. Because it takes itself seriously, there's a sense of grandeur because you're mm, not yeah. you're not just dealing with just, you know, little bloops and blips. That's how it started, of course, you know, but even within that, when you had the early installments in the Final Fantasy series, there's a story being told and it was a serious story, you know, uh, and it became more and more, the stakes became higher, you know, uh, you're dealing with life and death situations for the characters. You had villains mm -hmm. who were legitimately evil and were looking to do extreme harm to not just the characters, but the world that they were living in, you know, in some form or fashion. So for me as a gamer, I really valued that because I love stories. I like, mm. that's why I go to the JRPG specifically because I'm literally, it's literally like walking up to your grandpa and you're like, you're like three years old or four or something. And you're just like tugging on his little shirt or something. You're like, <laughs> granddad, tell me a story. And then he's like, he sits you down on his lap and he opens a book and he takes you and you as a child, you just, you just go. There's no, mm. oh, well, that didn't seem right. Or let me go, let me psychoanalyze the, the you know, the fact that the writer <laughs> did this or that. It's like, no, 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 there's none of that. You, you, your, your imagination takes you. And so this particular piece, um, Final Fantasy VIII was actually my first in the series that I ever played. Um, 
And I actually had a, a PlayStation demo disc. I think it was like number 37 or something like that. It had mm-hmm. a um, it had a demo for Final Fantasy VIII. And, uh, you know, I, I think I know just the demo that you're talking you see, about. You see, I knew you were going to get it. I knew <laughs> you're going to get it. Um, it's um, I that was my first exposure. It's like where you're like invading Dolet and yeah. uh, you've got this, you know, it's like you're just getting a, a taste of what the game brings to the table. And so once it was released and I had the the funds, of course, <laughs> I ran, I ran <laughs> to the store and I bought it. And um, this piece, when you're a landing on Dolet, like just the sheer magnitude of everything, it's like this is a serious operation right now. Like this is this is not this is not fun in games. Mm. And for me, that was the first time I had had that in a game. You know, like before it was like Streets of Rage and it was like Sonic and you know lighthearted fun. This was like no 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 no, we're we're invading a city. That city is like terrorizing its own citizens, and the military's taking over. And it's like you're invading from the beach. You're invading the city, and it's it just this piece, the landing is like it showed me what game music can be you know so that's the i guess the special connection that it has with me well let's go ahead and listen to that the landing by nobuo uematsu Thank you. 
So you mentioned before you listened to that, the uh, the demo for Final Fantasy VIII. And I have to ask, is this the song that got replaced in the uh, in the main game that was different in the demo? Uh, so the piece that was replaced is called Attack on Dolet. Yeah, that's the one. And it's like, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, I was, like when I got the game, I was like, where is it? I need that. That, that was. I, I felt I went through the exact same thing and it took me years to find out what happened to it. And it was like stuck in my head the entire time. Yeah, because you hear it through the entire demo. <laughs> I was like, you guys, you should have snuck that somewhere. Like, come yeah. on, man. Like, I, I was heartbroken because like I literally like went through the whole game and like I don't even I can't even like thinking about it now. I can't even recall whether it popped up, you know, and only recently did I like go and actually like look up. Oh, this was replaced by the landing. I was like, oh, I guess the the story for those who uh, aren't in the know is that it. I guess when they put out the demo, some people felt that it sounded a little bit too similar to the score from The Rock. The, the Nicolas Cage movie. Oh, wow. That's what... Okay, see, I just knew that it got replaced. I didn't even know. Yeah, I guess That's there were some fears of uh, of potential plagiarism. I tend... I mean, Nobuo Uematsu, I got to give him the benefit of the doubt and just say that, like, you know, great minds come up with similar ideas every once in a while. It just kind of happened to be around the same period of time. And so uh, I think just to kind of like cover themselves, they uh, took out that piece of music, replaced it, and um, it was kind of never heard again after that demo. <laughs> that actually, thinking about it in the context of the film, I understand mm-hmm. the decision. <laughs> I mean, here you have like a whole group of like mercenaries or soldiers, and they have hijacked or they've taken over this prison Mm. they're breaking into it to stop them and eight you're breaking into this city to stop the military (laughs) it's interesting okay Mm, noted i i I see where that yeah that was interesting a bit of a weird history there (laughs) i don't know that that song in particular was one that uh haunted me for a while and the fact that like when you have a song stuck in your head and you're not able to listen to it again sometimes it just stays there yes i totally get it i have like three four songs that were just kind of stuck with me throughout my entire life pretty much yeah (laughs) anyways so um reign of fire is uh one of your pieces this is not attributed to a specific game so uh why don't you kind of give some background on this and some context for the uh the piece of music referencing the 21 day challenge uh that i spoke about previously uh this is actually a recent um i think this was january yeah january Mm -hmm. um and i have this way of going about the 21 day challenge of this is this would have been the third time i would have done it the way that i approach it is i approach it as though i'm writing an original soundtrack and so Mm. the first like day one will be like some entrance you know it'll be like some uh introduction music or something like that and then the you know the last track is like an outro of sorts Hmm. so day two rolls around and i'm i'm sitting here and i'm like i want to do something intense you know like something that has a sense of like foreboding it's i don't i'm really trying not to use the the e-word that is so often used to describe big music Um, but I wanted to create something more on the grandiose side and long story short, I sat down, I was playing with some chords 
And, uh, you know, I was, at, I, you know, I was talking with my, my buddy, Sean, who was also my, uh, my coworker. And, you know, I was like, dude, like, how does this sound? And he was just like, oh my gosh, yo, you have to run with that. You, you, you got to do something <laughs> with that. Not, and so I was like, ah, I don't know what's next. And as I was talking with him, you know, I started like, I played like that next chord or whatever that connected it. And I was like this, and he was like, yes. And so mm. I literally, um, I, I literally just had in my mind, just scope, like huge. That's really, I'm, I'm, you can't see it, but I'm like moving my hands in a really big motion. <laughs> um, I wanted something large and at the end of it, like because of, uh, you know, the choir that I ended up adding to it. And I love choirs, by the way. Like I love, oh my gosh, the, the human voice is, it is the jewel of this world to me. Like mm. it is, I love the human voice. And uh, when I added the choir and this, the instrumentation, everything, I was like, this sounds like an explosion. And so that is how Reign of Fire came to be. So I have to go back to this choir. So for a 21 day challenge, this isn't necessarily commissioned work unless I'm uh, misunderstanding. Like how do you, how do you get a choir to perform for you for something that you're uh, kind of doing for free, putting out there? I don't know. It, it feels like uh, in a lot of 21 day exercises, like those, um, you know, write a book in a month type things, they're more kind of pitched as like, uh, personal exercises? I am a nerd in many respects. And <laughs> one of those respects is uh, with regard to virtual instruments. And mm. uh, that is everything that is like most of my music, I would actually say probably 99% of my music is completely like instru uh, virtual instruments or sample libraries. I The reason why I say that I'm a nerd is because it's it's really bad. I'm like, I am a part of like every newsletter, <laughs> every email newsletter <laughs> uh, that these developers create. Um, and uh, so to, I guess to, to fill your audience in, if they're not aware, um, there are tools that composers, including uh, a lot of the industry composers out there, uh, there are tools called sample libraries. And essentially what it is, is let's say for the, for example, I take the piano. I would go into a room, a recording studio, and I would have the microphone placed, you know, I have like three microphones, one placed inside the piano, one like further away, and then like one right up where the, you know, the musician is. And I would literally record every single note, every single different inflection in the note, uh, every single like uh, velocity as, as a term is called, which is how hard you play the note or how soft mm -hmm. you play it. And you record all of that. And then you have a guy or a girl like who programs, you literally have them program all of those notes into a particular piece of software. And you, they make it so that you can sit at home and play it back. And it sounds as close to the real thing as you can get you know, without it sounding like an artificial synthesizer mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so they will do this, but they will do this for like every instrument they can get their hands on, uh, these developers. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's essentially how that works. And so like I, me being a nerd, I just go and I, I grab them every, every opportunity I get, 
Um, and it was really because going back years, I was trying, well, I was preparing for a career in, uh, as a game composer, as a composer for film and animation and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And I knew that in order to really dive into the way that I want to write, I would need the sounds to be played back to me the way that I would want it to sound. Mm. And so in order to do that, I invested tirelessly into all of these libraries and stuff. So um, the choir is actually a sample library. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. It doesn't have that artificial sound when you listen back to it. You know, sometimes you can tell. Sometimes it's pretty obvious. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. Uh, and that really speaks to the level of commitment to quality that the sample developers have. Um, I have an immense amount of respect for the sample library developers because uh, their, their attention to detail, their understanding of the instruments, uh, just everything, the space that they're recording in, the microphones that they're using, even down to the way that the instruments interact with each other when recorded mm -hmm. in the same space. It's like, it's, it's an art form, really. It's become an art form. And I just, yeah, I, that's why I said, I, I, I'm like getting geeking out over here, <laughs> just even talking about it because it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really, uh, it's a rate, it's an amazing, uh, skill set and it's an amazing, uh, industry now. It, it's literally an industry now where, people develop sample libraries um for composers and musicians to use it's it's incredible that's very cool uh, one of the friends of uh, the sound of play show ruben cornell uh, is you know deeply involved with creating ruben! virtual <laughs> virtual instruments and such yeah <laughs> but uh yeah i don't know that kind of thing to me just like i kind of have a vague understanding of like how it works but it's just like so unbelievable, like the improvement over the years in virtual instruments and in sample libraries and stuff, and just the uh, the work that people are able to create and uh, stuff that would be almost impossible or prohibitively expensive otherwise are becoming, you know, doable to just people composing out of uh, out of their back room. It's it's wonderful, really. I remember thinking to myself, um, and I was about like. 12 or 13 years old i was like if if i could just have an orchestra at my fingertips <laughs> i could take over the world like i nothing <laughs> would be kept from me and you know as soon as i hit like i think it was like 25 or 26 or something and then mm -hmm. i became aware of sample libraries i was just like ah okay world conquest is on the list <laughs> <laughs> and it did happen you did take over the world and we thank you every day for allowing us to eat once more uh, so <laughs> let us play the national anthem of the earth now this is reign of fire by <laughs> joshua matthews
So moving back into some pieces that have inspired you, we talked about some big pieces. We talked about uh, pieces featuring the human voice, and this, of course, does just that. Uh, this is a piece from Fantasy Star Online. Uh, so what is your experience with, uh, we talked about JRPGs, uh, the online RPG is kind of a different beast entirely, um, even though this one is a little bit more, you know, it, it stems from JRPG roots. It's not just online out of nowhere. Uh, but um, how how much online gaming do you do and how does that affect how you interact with games? I actually had a period of hiatus from games, which was way too long because um, I was too busy adulting. Um, but mm. when I came back, um, Monster Hunter Online like monster hunter world uh, excuse me it's that has become like my addiction <laughs> it's 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 amazing to me um just the scope of it the fact that i can uh i can connect with other players you know my friends who have mm-hmm. created their own um their own characters and we each specialize in different weapons and everything like that. Um, it's funny because uh, one of my really good friends, Darrell, um, he is the one who introduced me to Monster Hunter World. And from then it was like, oh gosh, I can't even tell you how much of an addiction. I mean, like you lose sleep, <laughs> that kind of thing. It's like, mm, yeah. uh, and it's just the scope <laughs> of it, man. It, it really, that, like if I had to put it into words, Ryan, it's the scope of just like what you're able to do, the graphics and just the experience of I'm using my character as me and I'm hunting these ridiculous monsters. Like it's crazy. So yeah, like online gaming for me, like that's, I'm, I'm not much of like a PVP person. You know, I know that, you know, that, that is an entire community on its own. I, I really like to team up call me crazy um (laughs) i'm the same way i agree it's like i i just wanted to like bring the avengers together the a team and go (laughs) wreck this boss like that's that is what online gaming really is for me fantasy star online this is an older now i mean it's not an old old game but uh you know now it's got wow almost a good 20 years on it (laughs) Uh, so did you have uh, experience with the fantasy star series before or was this something that just really hit you at the right age um actually well prior to this installment uh fantasy star online i think it's episodes one and two um i didn't mm-hmm. actually have any exposure to fantasy star but the reason why this game has such a special place to me is it was like this was like all of high school like all of it Mm, yeah (laughs) (laughs) um it it became this uh it it kind of exploded really because um uh have i have two friends uh who are you know who i grew up with um and you know their names are david and ogade and they got me into fantasy star and it was like i was like dude where has this been my whole life it it was literally Mm. my first well no second mmorpg it was my first 3d MMORPG um, on Dreamcast. And I was like, dude, this is nuts. Like I can make my own character and there's all these different systems and stuff. And um, when I moved up, uh, my brother and I, my brother Jordan, like we lived in that game. I can't, I literally can't tell you how much we lived in that game. 
Um, mm. And the crazy thing about it is this, it's not even that, like, the original one, it, unless you were online, you had a limited supply of missions. And for, like, a, a long time, we actually weren't even able to play online. Mm. But we could play with each other. So there's that, like, that whole co-op thing. And, um, I mean, long story short, man, like, we grinded and grinded and grinded some more. <laughs> and for some reason, we liked it. It was just like we played the same, what, like, I think there's probably 16 missions in like episode one or something like that. Mm. And we mm -hmm. literally played them over and over and over again. Because then we learned about this little thing called the rare weapon. It's a little red box. And it would make you like <laughs> jump up and down. You're like, ah, oh, you got one, you know. <laughs> um and uh, yeah, so that's how that, that's really how I became introduced to it. Um, I feel like I've gotten off track somehow because I get giddy about this game. That's all a part of the history of the, the music and how it connects with you. It's, it's, it's vital. Yeah, it's, and, and it's interesting because this particular track, um, the, the, the opening theme, first of all, uh, hat off to Kobayashi-san because this piece is, um, it, it kind of, let me know where I could take music. It's literally like I'm like this chef that walks around everywhere with this like black notebook. I just call up my phone. And anytime <laughs> I hear something, it's like I'm literally listening for the recipe. You know, like mm. I'm sitting, I'm jotting down notes. I'm just like, oh, ah, you use the vocals this way. Ah, you use the, <laughs> the, the, the brass that way. Oh, that was very cool. The piano. The, and that's that's literally me like. If you can imagine like some weird, odd looking hunched over character with a notebook, <laughs> just like that Igor character that you see in a lot of different shows, that, that was, that's literally me when it comes to music. I'm just constantly studying and writing. And this particular piece, like when it's, it's, it plays at the opening and you kind of get an introduction to the world and, and to the characters, which has been done in many other games before. But for me in this one, it's like, we have this tradition, me and my brother, when we play a game for the first time, no matter what, we sit and we watch the opening, like mm. every time. And so for, for us, you know, our friends, David and Ogede were raving about it. We were just like, okay, sat and we watched it. And at the end of it, we were just like, what exactly are we stepping into right now? Like, <laughs> cause it was, you know, when you're like, I think we were probably, I was about 16 or uh, 15 or 16 at the time. It was like, man, like, this is huge. This is, this is really big. I didn't know this existed. Just to hear the scope of it, just the way that the orchestra is used. Um, mm. And the fact that there's a singer, that's always like, I love hearing a singer with the orchestra. That is a match made in heaven to me. Uh, and, you know, for me, like my first exposure to that came from the jazz orchestra era, you know, where you had, yeah. you know, like Nat King Cole and, you know, Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and all these guys. And they're, you know, they're singing. But then, you, you know, eventually Natalie Cole came and it was like, whoa, like you're just hearing the voice among, um, amidst the the orchestra, this big band and everything, it's just it makes it larger than life. Oh, that's very cool. Let's go ahead and listen to, this is called Fantasy Star Online opening theme by Hideaki Kobayashi. 
you said when you were introducing yourself that you are somewhat self-taught and self, uh, somewhat schooled. Uh, how did you, I don't know, get into music in the first place? How do you go about teaching yourself such a, uh, complex trade? Uh, okay. So it started with this like tiny Yamaha keyboard, um, that my parents got me when I was probably, I don't know, six or seven years old. And, um, what I used to do is I would sit in front of the radio and I don't know, maybe it was just boredom. I just, maybe it was a calling. I have no idea. It was just like, I sat down and I tried playing the melodies that I was hearing just by listening to them. It went from that to me, like when we really started to play video games, I would literally put the controller down at a particular section and just listen. And this is like Sonic, you know, I like, for a sonic stage, you know how like there's like a time limit and, and everything. I would <laughs> yeah. I would risk the death in order to <laughs> like try to learn the track and and I was doing that very young. And so that's why I was saying like I'm mostly self-taught because I I've never had like a single piano lesson in my life. Um so whatever you all have been hearing has just been, you know, not to say that it's like amazing or anything, but I think I'm doing okay for a guy who had yeah, like that's a pretty keyboard, impressive. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and just kind of just picked it up. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, do you play that live, uh, to a degree or is it kind of playing a couple notes at a time and then fiddling it together, you know, via computers? Um, what do they call it? Not, not synthesizers. Uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Or like a MIDI or a sequ- uh, yeah, se- yeah. like a sequencer kind of thing. Sequencer. That's the one. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's the thing about me is, um, and I, sometimes it's kind of to my detriment. I actually play it live. I'm like that angry composer guy that you hear kind of like shouting at himself, like, get it right. Oh my gosh. You know, that kind of <laughs> thing, because I, I will literally drill once I have a, a melody locked in, you know, I, I will drill it so that I can perform it as everything's being recorded. Now, of course, I, I do a bit of cleaning, but when it comes to like the piano, for example, you there's a, a, a concept called uh, quantization. And it's essentially where if you imagine, if you will, the timing of you playing the notes is like on this mm-hmm. grid quantization can literally take all of the notes that you've written and just like snap it to the nearest, you know, little line, which is like a downbeat, right? The reason why you don't want to do that, especially like with piano work, is because it takes the human element out of it. It makes it mechanical. All of a sudden you're just like, dun, 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 instead of bling, 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 bling. You know, it's like it's, I know that was like a really stupid way of going about it, but it's like, you you want to make sure that the the human side is there. You want to make sure that the imperfection is there. And so that's the reason why, to answer your question, um, that's interesting. I play it live. You know, I, I have a, uh, a theremin that hey. has almost like an auto-tune feature where you can tell it, you know, this is the scale that I'm playing in. Mm-hmm. And, um, it will kind of round up to the nearest note and you can kind of adjust how strong you want that to be. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, if you do turn that all the way up, then you do get these kind of perfect sequence of, uh, the perfect scale. Mm -hmm. Um, but at that point you might as well just be playing on a keyboard or something because you're not getting the same kind of like 
the in-between notes and all of the the things that make the theremin noise really special. So yeah, yeah it's, I don't know. it's just like that. Actually, it takes away from the character of the instrument. Yeah, it's like you you want the theremin because it has so many different like so many different pitches and bends yeah. and different things like that that make it unique. Yeah, and especially the piano. I mean, it's got it, there's so much character that can be put into it just by the way that it's played. Um, I, I circle back to quite frequently the uh, track from Bioshock, Cohen's masterpiece, where it's just, you get this sense of the character's insanity based on the way that the piano is played in that piece. And it's just like a hugely emotional, like, you know, the, the swelling of the ocean and the rocking back and forth in his seat as he's performing. And it's just a, you know, there's something about the way that it's played even more so than the way that it's composed. Yes, I could not agree with that more. We had a, a guest on recently, another composer, and I I don't remember exactly who it is, and this is going to bother me. I, I feel awful for getting this. Um, but uh, it was one of the um, guests that Leon had interviewed and uh, was a, a wind instrument player. And when he composed, uh, he liked to, instead of sitting down at the piano, would sit down with the wind instruments mm. and would compose things in that way and was talking about, you know, there are electronic wind instruments. There are other maybe more efficient and less physically demanding ways to get those musical ideas out there. But he said that uh, there's something very unique about having to take breaths during your performance Mm. that changes the cadence of a piece of music and gives it like an entirely different, um, entirely different feeling and tone. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's those little tiny things that we never, never even think about for every instrument. And I wonder if the piano being kind of the default instrument for composition and for uh, a lot of performances have a kind of molded musical evolution in a certain direction and how different it would be if something else kind of filled that spot instead, you know, I don't know. We'll never know. (laughs) Yeah. I, but you know, the, the composer who said that could not have been more right there. There's literally every instrument brings a specific character and a specific philosophy. I try to like write in my music breaths, whether it's the breaths that, you know, that the wood, the winds are taking, or it's the breaths mm. that the brass are taking, or it's the breaths that the choir is taking. It's those little things that just add that extra little bit of realism to your writing that just brought more humanness to, or it just brought that, that imperfect element into it to just, I don't know, for me, it was rewarding because it was as though I was working with live players. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, I remember when I was young, my grandma got me kind of a history of music on tape. Uh, it was like a, uh, almost like a college lecture type thing where it was just somebody was like a book on tape, like going through some of the pivotal moments in like musical history. One of the things that really stuck out to me as a young age and kind of like stuck with me ever since was uh, their description of these early Gregorian chants and these uh, these incredible religious um, choir pieces that were done in like in the very very early uh, early days of uh, European music, mm-hmm. where they would they would try to overlap the lines of of people singing in a way that in a way that didn't sound like there were multiple people that were 
stepping on each other's lines necessarily, but rather to try to make it sound like it's one voice that was unbroken, that didn't need to breathe because they pictured that's how the angels in heaven would sing because they don't, you know, they're not constrained by the biological imperfections of the human body or something. And so, you know, just in a completely opposite way, trying to create in this, um, using such, you know, as natural of an instrument as the human voice to create such an unnatural or supernatural even um, experience uh, for their listeners to try to give them some sort of a transcendent heavenly feeling. Uh, I always found that super interesting and very cool. Let's listen to Battle Maiden. This is one of yours. We can circle back to some more composer talk on the other end. This next piece of music is coming from Kingdom Hearts. Uh, we just recently had a, uh, another Kingdom Hearts entry. Is this a series that you have kept up with? And then the appropriate follow-up is, to what extent? Because very few people actually play all of the Kingdom Hearts games. So <laughs> I'm curious where you stand with this uh, very convoluted and um, yes, multi-system dependent <laughs> series. Okay, so... First, before I moved to Kingdom Hearts, Yoko Shimomura, she, to me, is, she's literally like that favorite aunt who <laughs> comes in whenever she visits, she teaches you another way to play the piano. Like, when I, like, because she's been with me since childhood, okay? Um, if I owed any bit of, like, my inspiration to compose music it is going to her, her way of writing. I've, she's been in my, she's like musically been in my life for so long that, you know, when I remember when Kingdom Hearts came out and I found out that she was the one writing the music, I lost it. Like you want to talk about like a fanboy moment. I was like, ah, <laughs> we made it. Ah, you know, <laughs> it was bad. Um, yeah, so that I first wanted to say that about Yoko Shimomura, you know, if she ever listens to this podcast, I just want her to know that she has impacted me in a way that 
is so special and unique that like, I literally don't have words to say thank you. Mm. So yeah, with that said, Kingdom Hearts. Okay. So I've been playing Kingdom Hearts. Now I've kept up with the story almost religiously. It's bad. It's bad. The story is bad or you keeping up with me it keeping is bad. up with it is bad. Like I, when I say <laughs> religiously, I'm being very serious. Like <laughs> me and my brother would sit for hours and we'd have like all of these like, like oh, wait, this could happen. And oh, oh this is symbolic <laughs> of this and blah, blah, blah. It's like there was so much to comb through. You know, uh, we would just have like theories for days. That's right. I feel like that's necessary. Namura, Tatsuya Namura, he literally admitted like, I, I can't remember which installment it was, but he was like saying that like he was kind of like coming up with it as he goes along. And I was like, dude, why would you tell me that? Like, dude, why? Like, <laughs> you're supposed to, no, no. And so like the, you know, the whole, like, I understand how everybody is like, dude, it's like convoluted. It's like really convoluted. I guess mm-hmm. for me, um, this goes back to my my love for stories. Like, I kind of I kind of walk in with no expectation to anything. You know, um, to say that the you know the story of Kingdom Hearts is perfect is no, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, but I think for me, the beauty of it is in its flaws. And you know, I know yeah. that there are probably people reaching for stones right now, but <laughs> it's like there's like this this aspect of it there's there's character it's allowing itself to be a child right and when you think about Mm. just the whole all the themes of kingdom hearts revolve around innocence and the loss of it right and so for me having begun this journey as a kid it's like i'm literally like well i'm just as messed up as this story is Cause I'm a teenager at the time and I'm like, like, who am I? What am I? You know, it's like, it's, it's crazy. And that's kind of how kingdom hearts is. It's literally like it evolves with each different installment. Yeah, yeah. And then it, which leads us to kingdom hearts three. I picked it up. I pre-ordered it. I had to cause reasons. And, um, it's, it's a beautiful game. I mean, it has its flaws just like every game does, but I really, I liked where they took it. Uh, for me, what three is really about is about character relationships, which I mean, you want to like get me smitten with a game, have actual character bonds and relationships. And I'm, I'm done. Like I'm, mm. I'm all into that because that breathes life into everything. You, you can't have a world without the characters and how they interact with each other. So mm-hmm. that's what Kingdom Hearts 3 is all about. It literally like says, you know, reconnect. That's constantly like a tagline, reconnect, Kingdom Hearts, blah, 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 blah. Let's go into Hand in Hand from Kingdom Hearts.
So this next piece of music is a uh, remix that you've done of a piece from Final Fantasy X. Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of background on this one? Okay, so uh, what I when I played uh, Final Fantasy X, uh, there was a piece that stuck out to me, and that was This Is Your Story. I don't know what it is about it. It's kind of got that feeling of nostalgia, dreams. It, it kind of, for me, encapsulated all the themes of Final Fantasy X. And so uh, I, by this point, I had I've been a part of Materia Collective for about, I think, like two years. And the reason like I wanted to join in the first place is because they would remix Final Fantasy albums or soundtracks. And I was like, that's amazing. I want to do that. Two years later, they're just like, hey, we're remixing Final Fantasy X. This piece is actually from Spira, we came to call it. Um, the full title is uh, Spira Music from Final Fantasy X. And it's actually an album, an arrangement album broken up into two different discs, as it were. The first disc is Besaid. And so the Besaid mix, it's very organic. Uh, it's very like you hear all of, like the acoustic instruments and acoustic arrangements in there. And then you have Spira Xanarkin mix. And so the Xanarkin mix is where my my particular arrangement or uh, remix uh, falls on because I decided to go the technorganic route where I fused orchestral elements like strings and piano with, you know, lots of synths and stuff. The full title of this remix is uh, This Is Your Story, Far Plane Remix. And so for, you know, all, you know, our fellow like Final Fantasy X fans out there, like, you know what the Far Plane is. The Far Plane, for those who don't know, is the afterlife uh, for the for the world of Final Fantasy X. It is essentially heaven. And so when I was I, I uh, when I was proposing uh, which track I wanted to remix, this is your story was the first thing that popped into my mind. It's nostalgic. It's, you know, Final Fantasy X has lots of themes of dreams and who you are, uh, you know, it, reality. Like, is this real? Is it not? Is, you know, all these different things. And so I, I tried to really bring that into the piece, you know, um, in more ways than one, uh, truthfully. But uh, yeah, that's, that's literally, uh, I guess that's what, you know, this is your story for our plane remixes. Um, I was extremely humbled because Spira as an album is gorgeous. Like I it's it's interesting because when we work on a community album, which is what we refer to that in Materia Collective, uh, you don't know what everyone is going to do. You are in a Facebook group with everyone and you're like seeing, you know, everyone kind of like posting say hey you know i need you know i need a violinist or i need a violist and you know or i need a pianist for this or you know like people throwing that stuff out there but you don't hear everything until it comes together i remembered like you know when we had the listening party for the album it was like taking a trip into the world of 10 it was literally I heard arrangements in there that were so ridiculously emotional. It was like, whoa, like it was amazing to me. Uh, it was just truly, truly, truly humbling. And, you know, to any 
of uh, my fe- fellow materians out there listening to this. You guys are ridiculous. <laughs> you guys are amazing. Um, uh, let's listen to This Is Your Story, Farplane Remix, kind of around the uh, Final Fantasy X space. This life is kind of hard. Is this just a dream? Is there reality somewhere?
going from Final Fantasy X to Final Fantasy XV, a tribute of sorts. Uh, this is Reclaim Your Throne. Of course, Final Fantasy XV has themes of royalty throughout. And I think uh, that definitely comes through in the composition. Uh, why don't you walk us through this one? What was, uh, what was it about the original piece of music? And then what was it about, you know, kind of what you wanted to bring to it that uh, brought this into being? Well, interestingly, um, when 15 had come out, I actually did not have, I I didn't have like a game system to play it on at the time. And I was very salty about that. Um, Mm. But 15, like before I knew it as 15, it was, you know, you know, 13 verses. And um, I saw a scene, um, which is like one of the trailers where, um, you know, Noctis uh, is like in front of you know, essentially the palace really. And, you know, there are all these soldiers outside and essentially looking for him, you know, they're trying to dethrone him or something. And he literally comes outside and he just like wrecks them all like in the worst way possible. (laughs) And then he goes back inside and he sits on his throne. And I was like, that is so tough. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, this, uh, this whole theme of like, you know, taking back, something that's yours it really resonated with me um i was in school at the time and this was actually for um and and i guess just for everyone's context um i went to full sail university i studied music production there and while i was in my program you know like i think it was um professional workflow yeah there was this class called professional workflow which is essentially to teach you how to master your tracks me being my extra self decided to actually compose a completely original piece of music, you know, and and it's funny because amongst my peers, everybody's like trying to go into like hip hop or like EDM and stuff like that. And I was (laughs) like, no, 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 this, this, this won't do. So I I sat down and um, I looked at that trailer and uh, the first segment of it, is really just kind of me trying to bring a sense of elegance, grandeur. I mean, this is this is royalty we're talking about. And in the trailer, uh, Noctis is actually he's in a he's in a car, but he's in the passenger seat, uh, being chauffeured. And there's this sense of like you know high class, you know, uh, and he's dissatisfied with it. And so. In the first segment, I, I use like the piano and I use, um, you know, the violins and, and the cello, uh, as well as a solo vocalist to kind of capture what I felt was like a sense of longing. And this is before I even played it. This is just all that I was getting from the visual. Um, but the second segment, and you will know when it gets to the second segment, uh, starts with like a crackle of lightning. And it, the camera pans down to Noctis walking out of the throne room to find an army of soldiers armed with guns, you know, looking to take him out. And then as he like steps down, they just open fire on him. And of course, he's, you know, he wields, you know, the royal, uh, the royal arms. Um, can't remember their exact names, but which are these, uh, they're these translucent weapons that are unbreakable because they're they're magical in their in their nature and they're blocking him from they're shielding him from being shot everything all the movement from that is literally to kind of audibly narrate what noctis is doing 
So like you'll even hear a part where there you'll hear like an EDM section come in. And that was really me trying to illustrate, you know, uh, the energy, the intensity of what's happening in a scene. So anyway, like I hadn't at the time heard anything from Final Fantasy 15. I, I didn't listen to any of the music, even the the stuff that uh, Yoko Shimomura had wrote before, you know, uh, before it became 15. I, I didn't listen to anything. So I had no context outside of what I was seeing. And uh, oh, so, wow. yeah, like I, I did that on purpose because as much as I was a fan, I, I literally, even when I watched that trailer, I didn't listen to any of the music. So I didn't know later that Somnus was playing like, cause I literally looked it up with the intent to write a new piece of music. So like, I, I wanted to make sure there was no bleed of any kind <laughs> um, when I was uh, approaching scoring it. So yeah, that's just, that's where Reclaim Your Throne came from. And from, you know, for all those who saw the advertisements, you know, Reclaim Your Throne is like this, you know, it was this, it was this tag that would be uh, put on, uh, you know, everything 15. And so I was like, hey, you know what? Like, why don't I use that? Well, let's, uh, let's jump into that to reclaim your throne from, uh, well, an original composition.
You spoke before about how um, others that were uh, your peers were more interested in composing for hip-hop or EDM. Are there genres of music that you feel like you don't connect with? And then as a follow-up, have you ever challenged yourself to create music in a style that doesn't really come naturally to you? <laughs> I mean, not that any music does. It's all very hard work, but you know, there's somewhere we're more kind of personally inclined in one way or the other. See, that's the weird thing about me is that I find things about genres to connect with yeah. on purpose. The thing is like, I, I, I am influenced heavily by Japanese composers. And the one thing about them that I have witnessed is that they they don't say no. They literally mm -hmm. tackle everything. I mean, if you listen to Final Fantasy 15, it's quite literally a mix of like of of orchestral epic I use that E word of just orchestral, <laughs> intense orchestral music mixed with like Americana, you know, and and some mm -hmm. country influences and stuff like that. Like what? <laughs> like that's 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 awesome and, but it's like what like wow you know um and you know nobu Uematsu, you know obviously he's he's he is the forerunner right like he has uh i remember in um uh fisherman's horizon like when you hear that it sounds very it sounds very country and bluesy and everything like that the point i'm trying to make is that 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 ability to be versatile is key. And so it's not that I don't have genres that I don't resonate with. It's that as a, as a African-American composer, I am almost always assumed to be a producer, like that I, I, I write or I, that I, I make beats almost consistently always ask that. How do those roles, the composer and the producer, uh, how are they differentiated really? Is it just genre of music that they're creating? To the best of my knowledge, the composer is, you know, writing the music and everything like that, but they're working with, you know, other, other professionals, you know, in different realms. Like you'll, you'll have like, you know, a copyist, you'll have a, uh, uh, an orchestrator. Um, you know, of course this isn't always like that, but you know, there are other people in different roles to back up the composer. Genre wise, like when you move over into the realm, which it's kind of genre related, but I, it's not at the same time. Producers, I, I, to my knowledge, are the ones who work with like the actual artists. So, for example, like okay, anytime if you're if you're like working with a vocalist, for example, like you are creating the music that the singer is going to be singing to, then that's where you are on the production side. I guess the best way to this, I guess for me to say it is a producer is about the overall quality of the production. A composer notates, they write the music and they notate it for the orchestra to play. To the original point you were talking about how, um, you know, due to, uh, to factors of ethnicity, people kind of uh, have expectations of the work that you would be doing. Mm -hmm. Noticing, especially that your influences are primarily Japanese, you know, that must must really throw people's expectations. <laughs> it does. It's, it's really funny. Um, I think that, you know, cause, cause even amongst, um, you know, my, my fellow African-Americans, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's almost like a, like expectation, 
Well, actually, no, it's not almost. There is an expectation that, you know, when I get into music that I'm creating a, a beat for someone to rap on mm. or something to that effect. And so when I say that, oh, I, I compose music for games, you know, they're just like, oh, okay, well, like, you know, need for speed and, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm still making beats. I'm like, no, 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 like this. And then I'll play something and I'll be like, oh, you compose music, you know, it's like that. <laughs> and it's like, it's it's interesting because um, it happens, you know, uh, it, not just with, you know, with my people, but just especially outside of the African-American community. It's like, mm. there's an expectation I'm black. So therefore I write beats. Sad to say that tends to be a thing, you know, it's not that people's expectations aren't unfounded, but yeah. I guess what I'm, what I strive to do is to like, and it's not to say that my people don't know that they can't do it. Cause you have so many people, prominent, amazing people, you know, Herbie Hancock and Quincy Jones. You've got these amazing people who've written gorgeous music, you know, way before I was even born. Right. Mm -hmm. But amongst my generation, you know, I want to, I'm setting out to literally shoot off a signal flare and say, I am writing for said title that is, you know, hopefully Japanese, or maybe it's just a particular genre here in the West, you know, adventure action or whatever. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that I'm the first one to do it or anything, but to have that signal flare set off, say, hey, look, I literally, I come from nothing. Okay. Like I, I don't come from a background where my parents are well off. We were very poor, you know, like we, we were like, that's, that's just a fact. We, mm -hmm. um, you know, we struggled and all that kind of stuff, just like many families do, you know, but me coming from that. And teaching myself to play the piano and then doing this stuff now, it's like me saying to not just African-American composers, but to everybody. I'm like, if I can do this, you can do this too. So let's do it. You know, that's, and people who know me, I'm like, I'm, I try to like motivate whenever I get an opportunity to, because you never know what somebody's going through. But that's essentially, I want to be a break of the stereotype, you know, of you being a, you being, you know, me being African-American, I have to make beats. I have to, you know, I'm solely connected to hip hop or something like that. And it's like, no, but don't misunderstand because I actually like beats. I do. Yeah. I, it's just that what I don't like is being put into a box. Like I yeah, right. can't stand that because <laughs> I don't put anyone else in a box. I take people as they are, as they come, you know, like it doesn't matter what I'm seeing. What's your story? You know, tell me your story. I'm like that with people. Oh, well, let's get to this last piece of music to kind of take ourselves out today. But before we do that, I'd like to encourage everyone to go over to the forum at canonrinse.com slash forum. Or you can tweet us at Canon and request your own favorite pieces of music. I know that uh, it's been a little while since we've <laughs> done community requests because we've had so many specials and interviews and stuff recently that, uh, you know, uh, but uh, we, we do, we are going to get back in the regular cadence very soon and we'll start playing all of the community requests. Uh, so please do keep them coming. 
We will get to them very soon. Please do check out our other podcasts. That is Cane and Rinse on Monday. We have The Sausage Factory on Fridays. And our newest edition, my other podcast that I host with Ryan Quintel, Playwright, a creative uh, podcast about creating new video game ideas and pitching them to the void. <laughs> Uh, on Thursdays that comes out on uh, allonkanerince.com where you can also find Sound of Play, which you're listening to now. Uh, we have a Patreon, of course, that is patreon.com slash uh, that helps keeps the lights on, but I am most interested in uh, letting you plug what you want to plug. What is it that you want to draw our audience's attention to? Because as I mentioned at the top of the show, you have a lot of work out there. So... <laughs> What do you want to uh, impress all of our audiences with? <laughs> okay. Um, well, uh, there's my SoundCloud, which you can find all these pieces of music on, uh, which is soundcloud.com slash J-O-E-S-U-A. That's soundcloud.com slash Josua. And then also for fun, and I do mean for fun, um, I pair my videos with the music that I write or excuse me, I pair videos, excuse me, with videos that I write. And these are videos of uh, different, you know, uh, games and anime trailers and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I do that on my Instagram, instagram.com slash J-O-E-S-U-A. Uh, again, that's uh, instagram.com slash Josua. And also be on the lookout. I am actually producing my first album this year. So there's that to look forward to as well. And yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Are you uh, in a place where you can tell us what the album's called yet, or is that still kind of under wraps? That is under wraps for right now. <laughs> All right. I respect that. <laughs> it is under wraps for right now. But, um, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, to those interested, you know, stay tuned on my Instagram. I'm very active on Instagram, like really active. Mm -hmm. I usually post maybe about two or three times a week. So uh, if you're into that and, uh, yeah, just check check out my page and, uh, you know, if you like what you see, give me a follow. Why don't you take us out with uh, one of these other uh, pieces of original music that you've come across? This is uh, called Call of the Ancients. Uh, what is it? Uh, well, you have some background on this track. Okay, so um, one of the things that I do for fun, especially during the 21 Day Challenge, is um, it actually speaks to what you asked me previously about um, challenging myself. Um, so I will take a particular style of, you know, fill in the blank composer and try to encapsulate that. Now, for those who are fans of this series, um, you are going to be familiar with the whole title that I just gave it, which is uh, Blank of the Ancients, right? Um, so this was inspired actually by uh, Nier Automata, uh, the composer Keiichi Okabe. Um, his style of writing is truthfully is just amazing and i think that there are a litany of awards that near automata has won to prove that point um for this particular piece i challenged myself to i guess rather even practice you know writing outside of what i normally do so uh call of the ancients is really just my my ode to nier uh, uh it's a ode to okabe-san and it is also um, it's actually one of my favorite pieces that I did recently. <laughs> like I can, and you'll understand why when you get to the end of it. So, um, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, this is one of my favorites. A great way to take us out of the show. This is call of the ancients by our guest, 
Joshua Matthews, Joe Sua. So we will see you next week. Hey, hey, hey.